Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in. Man, what a weekend. Um, I, I hope that you had a chance to listen to Jan Markell's interview with me. It was, I was just so blessed by the feedback and the response from people, and it continues to be a blessing. And also pray for Jan. Um, I don't want to get into too much details, but last week or earlier last week, right after we interviewed, um, she was diagnosed with COVID, and I just don't know if she tells a lot of people about her, her health concerns, but please pray for her health and uh, her ministry. But I uh, can't wait to get to John Haller today, our guest. Um, just I just appreciate, uh, I'm looking at what the activity over the weekend, even on Stand Up For The Truth. And as you know, we've been shadow banned on Facebook, but our website is still up, of course, until they take us down, the powers that be. We're fighting the good fight of faith, friends, and we just keep plugging away. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us another day, and thank you that your mercies endure forever. We trust in your faithfulness, God. We recognize that you keep our hearts beating. You keep us healthy and, and, and alive and breath in our lungs, and as long as we have today, uh, we are working for you, serving you. Show us how we can do that most effectively. Show us how we can be uh, better soldiers for Christ and articulate the truth clearly in all of our interactions throughout the day, whether that be in person, at work, in our families, or on social media. God, use us and help us to speak the truth in love. And as always, Father, uh, teach us to number our days that we may gain hearts of wisdom. We love you. We want to serve you and give you all of our hearts, Lord, and and, um, may your will be done in our lives, in our country, on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. We are blessed to have Pastor John Haller back with us today. Fellowship Bible Church Chapel. Is it chapel or church? Chapel. Chapel. Yes, in Ohio. And uh, man, his prophecy updates are such a blessing. A lot of people are really, their eyes are open because of what he covers and how he addresses world news and uh, from a biblical perspective. But John, good to have you back on the podcast, brother. Good to be here again, David. Uh, not much to talk about. I don't know how we're going to fill an hour, and I say that jokingly. Yeah, the, su- <laughs> the fastest 60 minutes in radio. Huh? <laughs> oh, my goodness. So I'm just going to run down just to give an idea, uh, people, for the, to get the idea of the roadmap today. Uh, we're going to talk about absurdism, gradualism, the war on truth, the Fauci fraud, anti-Semitism, the role of fathers, the attacks on the family, Israel, Middle East turmoil, Benjamin Netanyahu, the out-of-touch O'Biden-Harris administration, the border crisis, and whatever else we have time for, and we'll probably get to just half of that. But John, um, I, don't, I don't know what's on your heart today to start with, but I just wanted to touch base with just a couple of recent articles. One, I'm noticing one of the major problems in our country is the media. of Americans believe traditional major news sources report the news that they know to be either fake, false, or purposely misleading. This is what 72% of Americans believe, and yet people are still deceived. They still fall for the false narratives. 
Um, can you help us to cut through some of the noise and understand what's going on here and why people still kind of are influenced and opinion, public opinion is changed by the media? Uh, well, you know, this is uh, maybe we, this is a jumping off point to go in sort of the growth of postmodernism. Sure. Yep. I, I did a, a seminar at a church conference in Anaheim, California in August of 2001, like six weeks before 9-11. And my topic was postmodernism. And what I saw and some others saw at the time was a rising, this postmodernism rising in the truth that everybody ha- rising in the church. Everyone has their own truth. Truth is what I believe to be true. But the, the, the thing that went along with postmodernism was the creation of a narrative. Mm-hmm. These creation, and so everybody has a story. So if you remember guys like Doug Padgett, particularly Brian McLaren, were, were big on your story in the context of the world, and your story is truth. Yeah. And what that did was it just eviscerated the gospel. So mm-hmm. that, that postmodernism that was apparent in 2001, 20 years ago, uh, and, and by the way, after that conference, I had some pastors push back against me and say, oh, no, John, this postmodernism thing will be a good thing for the church. Now, some of them thought that the narrative part would be a good thing for the church, but others thought that it would be the church would be able to stand as a beacon of truth in a, in a postmodern, post-truth culture. That, but that wasn't going to happen. What happened was so often happens is that what's ever going on in the culture eventually washes into the church. So we used to talk about the emerging church or the emergent church all the time. We don't really do that anymore because the emergent church has sort of been uh, subsumed into the existing evangelical church, and and you, you can't even talk about it now. So a lot of this stuff we see going on in the church today, it's based on feelings and experience. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Um, and there's just been a, a whole, a lot of the major selling books have pushed this. Um, and, and, and I think sometimes the authors that, that wrote this stuff were well-meaning and everything, but the church just didn't stand firm in the faith. They, they just didn't stand for truth. And I hear from people all the time. I just heard from somebody today whose grandson, and, and her, her children went to Christian schools. Hmm. And... They were they were well trained. They made I don't know if they went to Christian colleges or not, but now the grandson is saying, Well, you know, Darwin's right and we're all evolved from monkeys anyway. Oh, so boy. do you know that you know, do you know that grandma? And and she's just distressed about this mm. because this narrative and, and it's a narrative that I think Stephen Meyer at the uh, uh, intelligent design group and and others, Ken Ham and Answers in Genesis, et cetera, all the creation organizations, they've pretty much eviscerated the the uh, the theory that there's just this. It just there's this evolution that takes place when life itself is so complex. I think you mm-hmm. sent me a picture a month ago of Darwin's arch in the uh, Galapagos Islands had collapsed, mm. uh, you know, this great stone arch. And I think my comment was, let's hope that his theory goes follows along yes. and after. Yes, uh, Because it really has collapsed, but yet people in, insist on this narrative. So we, we see this narrative all the way through. Let me just give you a couple quick examples. 
So we have the narrative that's grown up around January 6th. Yeah. Uh, this is very troubling to me as a lawyer, uh, someone who believes in constitutional rights. There are people that are sitting in jails now since January, since they were arrested in February. So what, what are we now, four months, four and a half months? They've been incarcerated, in some cases in, in solitary confinement, without bail for essentially trespassing, misdemeanor trespassing charges. Yeah, yeah. So the whole narrative is a grown, you know, Trump Trump challenged the election results and he wanted to cause an insurrection. You see a lot of parallels, and I'm sure we'll get around to Israel a little bit later, but in the Israeli election, you see a narrative coming. So Naftali Bennett won, cobbled together a coalition, which has huge implications, I think, in terms of Bible prophecy, if we look down the corridor of time a little bit. But one of the things that Naftali Bennett had run on his party, he he got about 6% of the vote, and he's now the prime minister of Israel. What, I mean, what kind of world is that? Yeah. Uh, Netanyahu got 25 per, over 25% of the vote, and he's gone. But yeah, it's because of their crazy political system. But Natalie Bennett promised, I will not join into a coalition with these parties, with this Arab, the, anybody from the Arab parties, which they call the joint list, I want, not the leftist parties, uh, not labor, um, I'm just not going to do that. I promise I won't do that. I promise I won't do that. And now he does it. So Benjamin Netanyahu came out and said, this is the biggest election fraud in Israeli history. Hmm. Now, he wasn't challenging the vote results or the vote counting or anything. He was very specific at what he said. But immediately, the media leapt to the opportunity to create a narrative that Benjamin Netanyahu's complaint about the election fraud was exactly like Trump, and he was trying to incite an insurrection against the government. And it became this narrative. And the head of the Shin Bet, the uh, police, one police agencies there in Israel, immediately leapt in with this narrative. And so that's one of the things you need to see is everybody's always trying to create a narrative. I used a video yesterday from Disney had this young artist thing, and this young artist had... Uh, made up this video of this you know, young, black, obviously black girl and how she came and she was like a flower coming up of, out of the dry earth. And then it, the flower morphed into a plate of cookies and then morphed into a flower. And then you see this young girl age and it ends up with Kamala Harris with the <laughs> end screens being make history, her story. So this is this narrative that's, that's created about one of the most intellectually vapid people we have ever had in public life in America. I'm sorry, I, you, you, you can call me cruel uh, or whatever. I'm just telling you the truth. She is a complete lightweight, uh, and now she's running around doing foreign policy, I guess, because... In, in many cases, because Joe Biden can't. And she's in charge of the border problem, but she's never been there. Isn't that interesting? Let's, let's pause right there for a minute, John. By the way, I loved what you shared in your, in your uh, weekly prophecy update about postmodernism. And I wrote about the emergent church 10 years ago. Uh, they are now no longer emerging. And I think you made this point. They are, all, they are now inside the evangelical 
Christian Church and Community. But let's go to Kamala Harris. Uh, yesterday, I noticed a headline that she becomes the first sitting vice president to join the Pride March. She also calls for the passage of the Equality Act. And just a couple bullet points on her. Um, I've been saying that um, my book may be- get pulled off of Amazon when they find out what I've written in that chapter about her and her radical views and policies. But um, the Equality Act, you and I have talked about it. So many have tried to warn about it, giving LGBT individuals not equal rights, but special rights. And this would actually it would end up discriminating against Christians. We know that she stands in opposition to religious liberty. Um, She didn't go down to to the border, but she's marching in a pride parade. Um, She said in an interview last year that she would legalize prostitution as long as it was consensual. Right. How does this protect uh, women and young girls? By the way, she also wants to use the Justice Department in her own words. She admitted this during a debate uh, to use the Justice Department to strike down state pro-life laws. That means she would abolish laws that were enacted by legislators who were duly elected by the people. So my question is, how much do we really know about the vice president who may end up being president uh, before we know it? Your thoughts, John? Well, um yeah, she listen. I can complain about not or criticize Israel for allowing a prime minister to be in who got six percent of the vote. Uh, we could soon have a president who didn't even run in one of the primaries. Yep, for president, and she could be president. Uh, her parents were radicals. Mm-hmm. Uh, just and we did we not learn our lesson with Obama? I mean, his no. his mother was a radical. His the person who. Uh, Many think as his Obama's real father, uh, Frank Marshall Davis, was a radical of radicals. And how, why do we? Why are we surprised that these people are like this? But you have to have this narrative. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's Dennis Prager makes this point all the time when they're talking about the laws that come in against a conversion, uh, anti-conversion laws, where you can't give someone therapy, someone who does not want to be uh, homosexual and wants to go through therapy to, to go to become a heterosexual again. In, in the narrative of the left, sexual orientation, you're born with it and it can't be changed. Mm-hmm. Except when we come to gender, then your sex can be changed. That's not... so. <laughs> what your biological sex is is what you're born with can be changed, mm-hmm. but your sexual orientation cannot. But there are legions of examples of people who were uh, caught up in a homosexual lifestyle who were able to get out of that through the grace and power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. It's not easy, but it does happen. But again, this is the narrative. And people, uh, when you're hammered with it all the time, it's it's hard to stand up against it. You know, your your show's title says it all, stand up for the truth. The the media narrative is just beating you over the head. And now Pride Month too. In, what's that? Yeah, yeah, now we're in Pride Month too, so we're being bombarded everywhere you look. It's it's very usual for people who are appointed ambassadors from the United States. It has usually been the rule that they will have an affinity of some kind of religious or ethnic connection to the place where they're assigned to be an ambassador. For example, David Friedman was a big 
time lawyer, bankruptcy lawyer in New York City, became, but he's Jewish, and he became the ambassador to Israel under the Trump administration and did an admiral job for four years. I, I thought he did a great job. But now, under this administration, the narrative trumps any respect that you might have for the other country to the point that, and I'm no fan of the Vatican, but the U.S. Embassy at the Vatican flew the pride flag at the embassy. Yeah. I mean, what? how does this happen? Hmm. Um, I mean, why? I, I don't know why somebody from the Vatican can then go over there and tear it down. But but this is what happens. So you, you constantly get bombarded with it. I mentioned, you know, we've talked about YouTube banging you a little bit, banging us around. <laughs> uh, I've got one strike against my uh, channel for something that I put up as a private video. Just I put it there so somebody could download it for a conference. I got a, I got a warning because I talked about vaccine passports. Um, I mentioned vaccine passports and some of the controversy around them in another video, and I got a strike. Uh, you get three strikes in 90 days, and your channel's taken down. Wow. So I got a strike because I mentioned vaccine passports. Now, I appealed it to YouTube, and I said, I didn't even speak out against the vaccine, okay? You just mentioned it. I just said the vaccine passports and social credit system are bad, and I they did uh, remove the, the, the strike against our channel. They, they accepted my appeal. But they're a big conglomerate. I, I shared yesterday, you know, to the on the northeast side of Columbus out around New Albany, Ohio. I was driving down through there a couple times. And David, there are these huge buildings. Some of the biggest buildings I've ever seen. They, they are server farms. On the one side of the road, they have, I think, three buildings built, two built and three under construction. And across the road, they have a bunch of buildings under construction. On the one side of the road is Facebook server farms. On the other side of the road is Google. These buildings on the Facebook side, they're 1,200 feet long. Wow. Well, now that, you gotta... That's like the Empire State Building laying on its side. Oh, my goodness. You've got to describe this, John. When you use the word farms, I don't think people get the right idea. I, I saw your prophecy update and how you showed them all laid out. And you showed the property before anything was there. Explain. Oh, Two they, years ago. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and explain what they are containing and why why Ohio. Well, you know, I'm not sure why Ohio, although Columbus has always been a big information center. center. There's a thing called Chemical Abstracts. Uh, CompUSA was started here. Uh, AO, you know, so it had a big part in the early development of the Internet. And then we have a research institute called Battelle Memorial Research Institute, which I'm not sure. I've known a bunch of people that work there, but nobody will ever tell me what they do, except one person said, well, I helped develop Iron Byron. The, uh, they took Byron Nelson's golf swing and made it into a robot to test golf balls. I, and they developed that. But they have like this massive underground facility on the west side of town. And all you see is this little glass guard shack. And there's highly secure perimeter fencing. And it's the same way now over in New Albany with these Google server farms. Like there used, they used to be a farm, like where they grew corn and, and soybeans and that type of thing. And now they have these buildings, all of this data that Google collects, it has to be stored someplace. Hmm. So 
for example, in the Wall Street Journal on Friday, they had a thing about China and the U.S. collecting data. So right now, the U.S. probably controls, they called it uh, 20 uh, zettabytes of data. A zettabyte is a thousand, uh, no, a trillion gigabytes. Well, all of that needs to be stored on a chip and a server and a computer somewhere. So to do that, they build these massive buildings full of just computers. So these buildings, the first two built, are 1,200 feet long. They're about six stories high. And if you look at the skeleton, they're very dense skeleton because they just put server racks after server rack after server racks. Hmm. And then they have a long hallway. Uh, It's highly secure. I just turned around at the road to go back to the guard shack, and immediately there were three or four people that came out of the guard shack. Um, Because I just, I just, I wanted to sort of measure on my car. They're about a quarter mile long, these buildings. Uh, And they're full of computers. And so we have Facebook on one side. And so all this data that they collect on you is, has to be stored someplace. So, you know, the people in, in the Columbus area did the thing on, you know, innovation and technology, and they got areas set aside to do this. Mm. And so there are these massive servers, and there's a lot of people employed by it. And Google's building one right across the road from the Facebook one. The Facebook wow. facility is over a billion dollars. John, we've, uh, got to, we've got to take a break. We're going to pick, up, pick it up when we get back. Uh, from our break. Well, it's just amazing what's happening in the growth and the the information that is being stored up and they've got to do something with it. It's all in computers, right? But uh, what a different age we're in. It's very prophetic. We'll talk more with John Haller. Also mentioning the Virginia mom who survived Mao in China and is concerned about critical race theory and some more polls coming up on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest is John Haller. His recent prophecy update is called When the Absurd Becomes Reality. We're going to talk about that in just a minute, but I received um, an email uh, about Facebook, some link on Facebook. Uh, Someone was trying to simply click on a link on Facebook to the Jan Markell interview over the weekend of Understanding the Times, and it said she got this response, and I'm seeing a photo of it, YouTube, this video is restricted. Please check the Google administrator and or network administrator for restrictions. And it hit 50,000 views, so it was up there as of this morning. I just encourage you guys, wherever you can access Jan's program, Understanding the Times, go to it. I know she's got it on Rumble as well. Listen to it before it's pulled off because they are getting more uh, blatant and intolerant uh, in their censorship and in their views of Christianity. But, John, back to this, this information age and the massive storage of, of uh, these servers, information on Americans. It's concerning, and it is very uh, prophetic, but we never thought it would materialize like this, I don't think. Yeah, the Wall Street Journal article compared the amount of information stored by in the United States and China. And China's a little bit behind us. They're both around 20 zettabytes. By 2025, we'll be over 50. It's two and a half times the amount now. So you're going to see these server farms pop up in different places 
Uh, they're not hidden. You can find them on Google Satellite as long as they've updated the satellite thing. But this is where they store all this information and data. Hmm. As one of my friends said when I was describing this to him, and I sent him a couple pictures, he said, that's the mind of the beast, man. Hmm. Hmm. That's how eventually, we know that there's this mark of the beast thing. And there used to be this story that went around about there was a computer in in Brussels, Belgium, called the beast. Listen, we are we are so far beyond that one computer and one building. I'm telling you, it's like, there's going to be 12 to 15 Empire State Building type buildings out there full of servers and computers mm. to maintain data. Even today when there's so much, they're so much better at storing that type of information. And so this is the, these are the people that monitor what we're saying um, on, on YouTube and, and Facebook and that type of thing. And if, so if you, when I got banged by YouTube, I put it up on my Facebook page. I said, I've gotten a warning on YouTube because I talked about something related to COVID. And I violated their their COVID community information guidelines uh, by giving medical misinformation. One, I never talked about anything medical. I talked about vaccine passports. So what I did on Facebook was I posted a link on Facebook to the YouTube COVID information guidelines. (laughs) And immediately my post on Facebook got tagged about, you know, that COVID thing, that COVID warning that they put up every time you put something on Facebook. If you mention COVID, I was just pointing them to the guidelines of YouTube (laughs) and they were dinging me on because it's called artificial intelligence. It's not artificial wisdom. Exactly. Um, So artificial intelligence is as stupid as, all the uh, Harvard and Ivy League grain, uh, uh, trained graduates uh, combined. It, it's not wise. It's not brilliant. I heard an interview the other day, might have been on Dennis Prager, where somebody was saying, "Is you know, I, I won't hire somebody who goes to Harvard or Yale or Brown or one of those schools because they don't know what they, they've been. They've had all the wisdom and intelligence beat out of them in four years at one of those places. All <laughs> the intelligence beat out of them." Sounds about right. Today's university yeah. system. Hey, John, really quick, let's touch ba- touch back on the media, which we start opened up the conversation in the last segment. Um, they're complicit in the deaths of possibly tens of thousands of Americans, and here's why. Actually, I just remembered that now. I heard um, Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson being interviewed by Mark Levin on Life Dan Liberty from YouTube. By the way, what what's he that? He was banned from. He was. He's been banned from YouTube. He Levin put up or... information about COVID, so they banned him from posting anything on his channel for a week. Ron Johnson or Mark Levin? Uh, Ron Johnson, Sen- wow. a senator, an elected senator yeah. of the United States. And all he's doing, he's investigating what happened. Not Now, this is a different subject. He's investigating what happened on January 6th because they're, the media is framing as, it as an armed insurrection when no one was armed. Anyway, that's for another that we can talk well, about. Well, the police were. Well, the police were, yeah, who happened <laughs> to let a lot of people into the Capitol building. But back to this hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and vitamin D, I think, zinc and other things yeah. that people were taking as a treatment for COVID. And many people recovered way before the vaccines came out. And this is what was frowned upon because Trump mentioned it. And I think Trump took it. So the media said 
Trump bad, anything he would recommend or mention bad, and people could have been saved, their lives could have been saved by taking some of these things. Um, so, could, John, this, this is, go ahead. Well, I, I can tell you, I know personally of a couple of stories uh, of a guy in a, well, let's just say he was in the hospital, he was very ill from COVID, and the family was told he had 8 to 24 hours to live. His doctor said, For, forget this restriction, I'm giving him zinc D and hydroxychloroquine. He was home in two days. Wow. I know of other families who begged hospitals and doctors to give their spouse the same treatment. And they said, no, that's against the guidelines. Mm. But we have this experimental, um, oh, it, it, it was the uh, plasma therapy, which now they have said, no, that didn't work. That's what Trump got when he was went in to the hospital with COVID. But we can't give them hydroxychloroquine. That's against the rules of our the corporation that owns this hospital. But you're, but you, you the person is too sick to be transferred someplace else. Hmm. So this this has been it, it's it's absolutely insane. You should probably get Simone Gold on your program at some point if you can. Uh, she's stood up very courageously for this, and there was a study. That came out. It's not published. It's still got to go through peer review. But their initial findings were that people who took hydroxychloroquine and zinc and D had a that were severely ill had a 200 percent better chance of recovery. Wow. Well, the media is not talking there's about studies like that. There is something very strange about this. The Cleveland Clinic came out last week and said one of the most respected medical institutions in the world. And said, if you've have COVID, if you've had COVID, you really don't need to get vaccinated because hmm. you have antibodies. Wow! Now you're not going to see that no. in very many places. <laughs> no, it's going to be suppressed. It will get you banned by our, I call them our tech overlords. Wow! Uh, and they, and it's a constant thing. So every time you put something up, you know, and they they ding you, then you're less likely to talk about it. Hmm. So that it's like a training process to to get you beat into submission. Oh, that's scary. That's scary. I think of uh, the ding and the training process. I think of Pavlov's dogs. Um, anyway, right. yeah, we're, anyway, we are sheep, though. Um, John, let's move on to the next topic, and that would be fathers. Um, you sent me a little note. Uh, we wanted to talk about this because of the way fathers have been depicted throughout the decades by Hollywood and others and how the family has been attacked. Uh, fathers have been declared unnecessary, almost like the church being declared non-essential last year by the government. But anyway, you said you have a master's in, in criminology, and in right. the 1970s you knew then that a lack of a father in the home was the single most reliable predictor of incarceration. Uh, and I, I know you're not saying I told you so, but this is what we're seeing today. What else can you tell us? Well, I see this Prager video that we'll talk about in a minute. Articles have been published challenging the necessity of fathers. Go ahead, John. Well, yeah, I mean, look, the media has portrayed all the fathers as buffoons, um, you know, and, and, and it's true. I mean, I've been married for 46 years, and I, I think I can state from my personal experience and research that men and women are different. 
Really? Uh, they <laughs> very different the way they approach things. And it's kind of funny. You just have to kind of laugh at it and try to and work through it. But listen, uh, Daniel Patrick Monahan was a liberal. He was a classic liberal, not a leftist. He had some ideas I wouldn't have agreed with. But back in the 1960s, he was championing the cause that through our welfare policies and everything, we're encouraging fathers not to be in the home in poor communities, black and white. And this is not good. At the time, the illegitimacy rate in the black community was about 30 percent. It's now somewhere between 70 and 75 percent. You talk about that as a problem and you're immediately labeled a racist. But it was known from research when I was in graduate school in the mid-1970s, almost 50 years ago, people building on Moynihan's work in the U.S. Senate, Mm. when he complained about this, it was well known that when when you, if you do a a statistical demographic study of of prisoners, the the most common factor is the lack of a father in the home as they were growing up. Mm Mm-hmm. So now, 50 years down the road, we're saying we're running ads for to recruit people into the army where the, the person that's doing the ad says, I was raised by my two moms mm. and I always stood for equality and they show the kid at an equality march. So this is the narrative now that fathers aren't necessary. It's going to destroy our culture, and I think what the church needs to do in response to that is to, because we don't know how long this thing is going to be before the Lord intervenes, so we've got to fight it. Yep. And I think that's the point of your book. <laughs> I don't know that we're going to make a perfect society, but there's there's the hearts and minds of children at stake, so we have to do something. And I think you know churches should encourage strong fathers in the home. Absolutely, and I think we, as a church, need to get the will to fight. We need to have the will to fight rather than feel overwhelmed and just back out of culture and not try to do anything, because look at look at where we're at. And like you said, we don't know when the Lord will intervene. This could be—it could be a while uh, yet. But anyway, back to this idea of fathers, which is very interesting, because, you know, Jesus— talked about the importance of the family, and he actually defined marriage or acknowledged the father's understanding of marriage between one man, one woman, as Genesis points out. He said, well, actually, there's a, an article in The Atlantic literally titled, Are Fathers Necessary? A paternal contribution may not be as essential as we think. Also, another, this is the New York Times, What Are Fathers For?, And, of course, it's a discussion with five intellectuals in that one. And finally, uh, Huffington Post, fathers are not needed. So there we go. There's the progression. We've concluded fathers, dads are not necessary. Isn't this an amazing place that we're in as we approach Father's Day 2020 or 2021 this weekend? Yeah. You know, uh, sometimes you don't appreciate your father until he's gone. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a week ago, well, a week ago last Friday, my, it was 30 years to the day that my father passed away. And, 
you know, I, I learned, I, you know, like every kid growing up, you have issues with your parents, I'm sure, back and forth. It was never that serious, but I, I you know, I, as I got older and we tried to start a family, you know, that I became much more appreciative of the things that my father had done and meant to me and the consistency that he had shown. I remember the parsonage of the church. He was a minister, was across the street, and I remember waking up on Sunday mornings at 3 a.m. and looking across the street in the parking lot, and I could see the glow of the light in his office as he was working on his Sunday sermon. Wow. And now what do I do? I get up at 2 or 3 o'clock on Sunday morning to finish up <laughs> what I'm doing on Sunday, too. So um, thanks, Dad, for that, I guess. Yeah. But it, um, but there was that consistent example of studying and teaching. And, and Dad, this is before social media and everything, I'm probably... I'm sure that in a month I speak or am listened to by more people than um, my father was listened to in his entire 40 years as a minister. Hmm. Even He even had some radio programs at times. But it, it's, and I'm sure that if he somebody went to heaven and told him that, he would sort of like, my kid, people are listening to my kid <laughs> uh, every week. He goes, I, 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 want, I want to see this. I want to understand what happened. But, um, yeah, fathers are really important. Mm. You, you can't deny it. Um, and, if, and if you're aware of single moms in your church and that type of thing, you know, you, you can step in as someone in that church and be in a father-type position. Never replace the father, the real exactly. father, but you could be like a father to those kids. So take those opportunities when you're Amen. presented with them, because this is... It, it's a, it's vital to their future, and it's vital to the existence of our culture. Amen. We've got to take another break. Fatherhood is by God's design for His glory and for our good. When we come back, we're going to talk about how the Biden administration is transgendering terminology. Did you hear mothers are now to be called birthing people? That's interesting and absurd. Also coming up, a Virginia mom who survived Maoist China. She eviscerates a school board's critical race theory push and a new Gallup poll. 84% of millennials are all on board with the LGBTQ. More with John Haller in a minute. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Our guest is John Haller. You can check out his Prophecy Updates weekly on YouTube, Fellowship Bible Chapel on YouTube. And John, let's start with absurdism. Um, I don't know. It's such a small minority of the population, such a small percentage of the population that are LGBTQ. um, And yet they're pushing this, trying to, I don't know, lobby for them. So the Biden administration in this budget uh, mentioned mothers are, they called them birthing people because they want to be inclusive, from what I understood, one of the explanations. Can you help us make sense out of this? Yeah, well, I you mean make sense out of it? I can just tell you that it's absolute uh, crazy nonsense, <laughs> for one thing. You know, in the budget, they have a, a section where they talk about improving maternal care, because we have the highest incident of maternal death and birth related to births in modern cultures. Now, I think part of that is a reporting, we're better at reporting and tracking those things 
because many cultures they just don't bother counting it mm-hmm. or making a note of it. So that that's one thing. So it's always you know America is the worst thing in the world, but when you really unpack the data, that's not necessarily the case. But they talk about maternal care, and then they say we need to improve outcomes for birthing people. <laughs> so, so this had come out in a in a uh, one of the confirmation process hearings of somebody at Health and Human Services. And she said she used the term birthing people. So when she she was then asked about this budget thing and she said, well, you know, that that's what I'm saying. And and we need to make uh, birthing people broader than just I I'll paraphrase broader than just females. Now, this is something that I'm not aware of, that we've that we've changed the design and order of creation. Right. Uh, but. And then the Health and Human Services Secretary uh, Becerra was asked by one of either a congressperson or a senator, "What about this?" And it, you ought to go find the video and watch it. It's hilarious because Becerra is trapped, and it appears that you know we take all these things in, in litigation and trial work where we try to be trained to figure out if people are lying or they're uncomfortable answering a question. Mm-hmm. It's clear that he's uncomfortable because he. He has to stick to the narrative, but there's something inside of him that's fighting it. And so he'll kind of laugh through this a little bit. Uh, he kept saying, I've it, got to check the language. In the, yeah, I've got to recheck the, the language. Yeah. I'll, I'll, have to, I'll, I'll check the language and get back to you. Well, you know he's never getting back to the senator with right. anything. Right. He's never going to talk to him about it again. He's going to hope that he never has to get in front of people and defend it. So this is what happens. Uh, this is the whole thing with the narrative that's coming up in critical race theory. So before we forget, there is a center, uh, citizensrenewingamerica.com. Citizensrenewingamerica.com has a toolkit, very well done, a PDF, about 90 pages. You can download, print it off if you want, distribute it among your friends to stop this nonsense, this cancer, this malignancy of critical race theory, which is coming into every part of our culture. The Southern Baptists are meeting in Nashville this week, and you can bet your life that there's going to be a big battle and fight over critical race theory coming into the church. And it may eventually, if, it, if, if the people can't write the ship on the Southern Baptists, then split. Get away from them. Let them go their own way. Let them have the name. Let them trash the name. Mm-hmm. Let them continue towards the iceberg that they're already, they may have already hit the iceberg, but get out of there. You know, sometimes you have to vote with your feet and leave. So this critical race theory, it's coming in through school boards. I saw also an interview, uh, Tom Cotton, if you can find the video of him questioning Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense, where he says, I have stacks and stacks and stacks of these whistleblower reports about people leaving the military because they're being told that they're racist just because they're white. And instead of doing military training, you're doing this narrative thing that America was a racist country always was a racist country at its founding. This is part of the 1619 Project. This is exact. This started in the first two Obama administrations. It's continuing in the third Obama administration to completely remake the military, to get rid of all the flag officers that don't kowtow 
to the leftist narrative that America is racist and the Marxist ideology that's behind it. There was a, and so people need to, when they have the opportunity to fight this, they need to fight it. It's, it's, we know it's coming into uh, corporate America. Uh, you, you know, it, it, it's just, it's being pushed at every level. One of the areas where people can really fight it, where they still have somewhat of a direct voice is at the school board level. And there are many people, I'm very impressed with the courage of some of these people standing up to these school boards. Yes. Who are putting in critical race theory. Let's go there. And telling them that they're bad. So there was a lady recently in Loudoun County, uh, Z Van Fleet. She is Chinese immigrant. She lived through the Mao Cultural Revolution. Somewhere between 25 and 55 million people were killed by Mao during the Cultural Revolution. Now, the one article I see says 500,000 to 20 million. Uh, well, 500,000 to 20 million from 1966 to 1976. And she said, listen, you, I'm alarmed by what's going on here. You need to stop this. This is exactly what the Maoists did during the Cultural Revolution in China. And she said, the things that you've set up for uh, bias reporting and that type of thing, to turn people, the children in school against other children in school and report on them, this is exactly what happened in, in communist China. 20 million people died. And if you don't stop it and we don't stop it now, the same thing is going to happen in America. We're no better than them. And so... I I'm, praise the Lord for the, the courage of this woman. She said yes. what they did in China was they engaged in a program to completely erase history. So people so that there was no Buddhist tradition or Confucius tradition or in America would be no Christian tradition. We got to get rid of all that because all those people were bad and we have to erase them from history. And once you don't have a history, you don't know where you're going. You don't know where you came from. You yeah. don't know where you're going. And she just said, she said this, I just want Americans to know that their privilege is to be here living in America. That is just the biggest privilege. Hmm. And, and I think, David, the same thing would apply over to the church, is that there are, I was thinking of my dad a week ago, there are a lot of pastors who faithfully study the Word of God, yes. preach the Word of God, proclaim the truth of the Word of God to their people in little tiny churches, and they're never recognized publicly. Hmm. So I, I want to recognize those pastors who stand for that, but we need to remember that it, it was those type of people who formed the backbone of, of a country like America. And we are, we are rapidly losing our heritage. I mean, I, we're the Titanic. Yeah. Uh, and the question is, have we hit the iceberg yet and are sinking? I think that's probably true. And we've got to rescue as many people as we can because there, there may not be a, much, a lot of time left before... God comes back and wraps this whole thing up. That's right. So I see I see a whole lot of different threads on that. I see what happens in Israel. 
over the election. Um, well, I don't know if I should say it. I'm going to say it. Good. So there's a theory about who the Antichrist is. You know, there's, there's a European, and is it Western Europe, or was it the Eastern leg? Is, it, is there some kind of Islamic thing? And there's a lot of people, they say, oh, they would never be an Islamic thing. Because you know, no, nobody in Israel would ever make an agreement with a, an Islamic guy. You know, the, the, the treaty, the covenant, the confirmation of the covenant that starts the 70th week of Daniel, at least in our eschatology. So the question is, what just happened? <laughs> what just happened? They entered into an agreement. One of the parties in the cabinet that formed the government, the vote was 60 to 59, by the way. It's not, I would say they don't have a overwhelming mandate. <laughs> but four of the seats in the Knesset that voted in the 60 are an Islamist party called the Ram Party. So there, we have right now an example of the Israeli government being formed because they entered into an agreement with an Islamist party. And that party will have someone who sits in the security cabinet in Israel. Amazing. I don't think this is a good thing. I <laughs> love Israel. I support yeah. Israel. But, uh, you know, I, I joked yesterday in my update, I said... Uh, the verse in Isaiah, I'm sorry, Psalm 121, it says, He that keeps Israel shall never shall neither slumber nor sleep. Hmm. And my response to that was, yeah, with that crazy political system that they have over there, there's no way that he could slumber or sleep to keep Israel. It's a full-time job uh, to protect them. So, look, I support Israel. I, we'll see how this plays out over the next month or two yeah. as to whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. But this is... This it's that's a microcosm yeah. of turmoil, and it's interesting. I don't know why there's a direct connection, but the fifty-fifty nature of our government, pretty much fifty-fifty, it's pretty much fifty-fifty in Israel right now. Hmm. There's direct parallels between what's going on there and what's going on here, um, and it's very turbulent. And this, but this is true all over the world. There, there's you know disruption in many, many cultures. There's a lot of attacks on Christians by Hindus in India. Uh, Christians are being persecuted in many places around the world. I hear stories coming out of China. Don't really talk about them that much, about persecution of Christians. Yep. But they're having a bit of a cultural revolution right now in China. Hmm. And then, But everybody's you know, capitulating to China on the business side. Uh, we're in a, we're in a very strange world, I guess is the best thing. Well, that. strange and John prophetic, prophetic. because events yeah. are converging. But what we're surprised at is the speed with which things are coming together and happening around the world. Anti-Semitism, uh, persecution of Christians or against Christians. So we're seeing we're in some very interesting times, and we've got to stay close to Jesus on the Word of God. Your final thoughts, John? We've got a minute and a half. Just wrap it up with. Just uh, giving people focus and just uh, reminding them we've got to endure and fight. Well, we talked about fathers, and uh, in First Corinthians chapter sixteen, Paul, uh, the heading of the uh, in the passage is final instructions, and in verse thirteen of First Corinthians chapter sixteen, Paul says this: "Be watchful, stand firm in the faith." Act like men, be strong. Paul wrote that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
we need to be strong. We need to act like men. You know, it's uh, it's time to do that. I, I think the hour is short. We see a lot of things happening. I know Jan, and we pray for Jan's recovery mm-hmm. uh, from her illness. But Jan has mentioned this many times in some of the talks that she's given. I never thought I'd see the day. And I think she's up to about 50 or 60 things that she could talk about for an hour that I never thought I'd see the day. And those of us are trying to watch as these things unfold and sort of prepare people for the return of the Lord are seeing the same thing. So I would only echo what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, Hmm. act like men, be strong. Put yourself, arm yourself with the armor of God. It's it's really the only thing that's going to keep you on the straight and narrow in this day and age. Amen, brother. And he who endures to the end will be saved. And by the way, just the fact that that word endure is there must mean we're going to go through something. But John Haller, time always goes by so fast with you, brother. Thank you so much for what you do and for being on the podcast again. God bless you. Thank you, David. All right, when we come back, we'll let you know who our guests are the rest of this week. Keep it right here. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. What a blessing, you guys. Thank you so much uh, for sharing the podcast. We're here as long as we are able to speak on the airwaves and on the podcast and on social media until we are taken down and we're trying to go to other platforms as well. But uh, tomorrow, we've got apologist and blogger and author Natasha Crane, Mama Bear. Uh, we can't wait to talk to her and introduce you to, or introduce her to you. Um, we'll hear from Jay Siegert on Wednesday, Julian Appling, Wisconsin Family Council on Thursday, Stephen Garofalo Friday. Thank you guys again. God bless you. And as always, you know what to do. Keep speaking the truth about things that matter.